Will you pray with me? God of love and God of light, we give thanks for your spirit that saturates our world and saturates our soul. We ask that we will experience the presence of that spirit today as we hear your word for us. Amen. This summer, we are studying the book of Exodus. This is the story of Israel's liberation from oppression and the lasting effects of that oppression on a people who struggle to be truly free. So far in the story, we've been introduced to the king of Egypt, who oppresses and enslaves the Israelites, but a group of women resist with civil disobedience. Midwives and mothers refuse to follow unjust laws and save the life of a boy named Moses. Moses grows up as Egyptian royalty, but flees to the desert after killing a slave master. While in the desert, Moses notices a burning bush. He leaves his sheep to go investigate and meets God, who sends him to free the enslaved Israelites. But when he gets there, things do not go so great. The Pharaoh only worsens the oppressions of the people, but Pharaoh's oppression threatens all creation, and God responds with a series of plagues to show Pharaoh the chaos that his cruelty has unleashed. Finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites go, but right after they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind and chases after them with his army. In a dramatic scene, God works through Moses to part the sea so the Israelites can escape. The Israelites arrive at a freshwater spring where they set up camp. Finally, they are free. And that brings us to our scripture today. Exodus 16, 1 through 5 and 13 through 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert which is located between Elam and Sinai. They set out on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they collected on other days. In the evening, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the desert surface were thin flakes, as thin as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? They didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Collect as much of it as each of you can eat. One omer per person. You may collect for the number of people in your household. This is the word of the Lord. Yep. 
You heard that right. After generations of enslavement, after a deadly struggle for freedom, after a dramatic escape crossing the sea, after all that, the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. The people say they wish they were still enslaved in Egypt because they miss the food. Right? It seems bonkers. How in the world could the people want to go back to slavery? And, and why are they hung up on food? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. It's not just food they desire. It's a way of life. And the way of life they desire actually begins with the food. The way we obtain food is the most basic economic act in every culture. You know, because we need food to survive, the production and distribution of food shapes a whole society. And Egypt is a great example of what this looked like. Egypt was an agricultural economy that used food production to exploit and oppress the poor. It worked like this. The state was run by a powerful military that controlled the production and distribution of food. The majority of the people were, you know, slaves and farmers, and, and they had to give up to 50% of their crops to the royal granary. The royal granaries themselves, they both cause oppression and they uphold oppression. If we remember back to Exodus chapter 1, the very beginning of our story, the reason that the Israelites were enslaved was because they had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. These storage cities were whole cities of grain silos where the monarchy stored the food they were hoarding. Right? And this desire to accumulate wealth causes the enslavement of the Israelites. And then it actually perpetuates that enslavement because once the wealthy elite control the food, they've got the power to decide who eats, who gets to live. So when the Israelites cry out for flesh pots in Exodus chapter 16, it's not only food they desire, they desire power and extravagance and the kind of life that's only possible by exploiting others. The Israelites have been shaped by their oppressors. They've learned that, that security comes by obtaining more resources than they need. They've learned to desire meat and other extravagant delicacies. I mean, they've learned that enough is not enough. So when Moses leads them into the desert and offers them no possibility of extravagant consumption, no possibility of wealth accumulation, the people want to go back. It, even though they were like at the bottom rung of society, they'd rather live under the delusion that one day they might be the rich. Right? And then, 
all the poverty and exploitation would be worth it. They believe in the American dream that they could one day be the consumer instead of always being the consumed. As, as my bestie, uh, Ryan, the biblical scholar, Hebrew scholar, says, it's a lot easier to get the people out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of the people. It's clear that the people are not actually free. So God does a, a really curious thing. God responds with abundance. According to verse 4, God makes it rain. God provides meat every night and bread every morning. God provides more than enough food. But if anyone tries to store food, the food will go bad. God makes it impossible for anyone to accumulate more than they need. And this, this is a direct rebuttal to the Egyptian economy of exploitation that, that hoarded food to gain power over those who were vulnerable. It, it offers a different model. God, it, it offers God's economy where food is not a commodity that we use to gain wealth and power. Food is a concrete sign of God's care for us. It's, so, so this is a reminder to us. At, this, is some, this is some Wendell Berry stuff here. Of course, he's written on this. Um, and what he, he writes and the agrarian readers of the Bible tell us is that food is not a product we make. We don't cause food to grow. Rather, we're given the gift of abundant and fertile earth. And then we're asked to nurture that gift with patience and attention and love so that life might spring forth and provide sustenance to all. I mean, this is a story about food. But what's really, it's really doing is teaching the Israelites a new way of being in the world. A way of being that shifts our focus from consumption and, and personal prosperity to the flourishing of all people. It's a way of being that causes us to rely on God's faithfulness rather than relying on our ability to get ahead of our neighbor. It's a way of being where everyone has enough and no one has too much. A, a way of being where everyone can rest. You know, this is the introduction of Sabbath. Exodus 16 is the first time we hear that word in the Bible. And we learn about it through food because God doesn't want the people to work every day. So one day a week, they gather extra food so they can rest. It's the first time that, that concept that's been sort of hidden in the scriptures is revealed. And it's not just Sabbath. This story really reveals the values behind 
the Levitical law, it, the, the law that requires that crops be left for the poor, the, the law that requires that Sabbath both be taken and provided, the law that requires a year of jubilee that eliminates generational poverty and prevents the accumulation of wealth. I mean, this story is about bread from heaven, but it's really a story about how we are to live. It's a story about the kingdom of Egypt, but it's also a story about the kingdom of Israel. Last week, we talked about how Exodus was written by different sources over about 400 years. Well, today's story is written by the priestly source, the last source, during a period when Israel's economy looked a lot like Egypt's. Starting around the 8th century BCE, Israel attempted to gain political and economic security by centralizing agriculture under state control. This resulted in poor folks losing their land while a small upper class became rich. I mean, just like what happened in Egypt. And actually this extends into the post-exilic period, the pattern sort of repeated, um, but it happens more through the temple that controls agricultural production, both through taxes and land. But that's sort of besides the point. The, the point here is that when the biblical writers are denouncing Egypt's exploitive control of food, they're also denouncing how the kingdom of Israel has abandoned the way of life that God put forth. When the Israelites say they wish they were back in Egypt, it's commentary on how we are held captive by systemic sin that teaches us to exploit the earth and put faith in, in our ability to obtain what we think we need. And this is, I mean, this is where the story needs to be told again. It's where we need liberation today. Because as, as the author Brian McLaren puts it, we know what it is to be held captive, held captive to fear, alcohol, or food, or rage, lust, shame, inferiority, or control. In today's version of Pharaoh's economy, millions at the bottom of the period work from before dawn until after dusk and still never get ahead. And even those at the top of the period don't feel free. They wake up each day driven by the need to acquire what others desire. They wake up afraid of who they will have become if they fail to satisfy the inner forces of greed and debt and competition, expectation, and a desperate, addictive craving for more, more, more. The forces of systemic injustice, systemic sin, that we see in Exodus not only exploit the vulnerable, they create a hunger that holds us captive to our fear and our desire. 
But the, the good news, if there is good news in this story, and I believe there is, is that God sees this. And God knows that liberation must get the people out of Egypt and liberation must get Egypt out of the people. God knows that, that we still need to be saved because this is not the end of the story. We're only halfway through the book of Exodus. And as it turns out, bread from heaven will not be enough. The Israelites do not know how to be free. But God has a plan. God has a plan for true freedom. A plan that you will hear about next week as we continue down Israel's wilderness journey to liberation. Amen.